Hey everybody, this is Derek. This is Mark. What's up? Let me get into nitty gritty nuance here in the Brazen Heads with Twin Peaks. You know, I think as Twin Peaks gets worse, we should get more detail with our analysis. <laughs> I was just going to say, Let's you can feel... just spend multiple episodes on, like, epi- on uh, episode 19 or whatever in season two. Yeah, you can feel during this episode, you can feel the entire series just sliding downhill. So this is a good yeah. opportunity for us to get into some stuff. There's some stuff on here that I, you know, you'd notice and you think, yeah, that wouldn't happen if David Lynch was part of this project. Right, right. Because but I'm thinking, anytime- ooh, what does that mean that it well, that it happened just like that? Oh, it probably doesn't mean anything. It was just like some goof and it wasn't supposed to happen. That's right. how I'm analyzing this now. Well, that, but the thing is that David Lynch does make an appearance in this episode. So, well, anyway, uh, we'll get into it. He does? Yeah. Uh, Gordon Cole calls in. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dude, totally. He does. Yeah. I know what's going on. Yeah. Dude, first, do you have anything to say about Sweltsy? Oh, my God. Okay. Is this an okay boomer moment? I don't know what that is. <laughs> God, dude. I don't, it's uh, the the name for Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. Oh, I never it, heard it pronounced. It it just feels like a big cultural moment, mm-hmm. wouldn't you say? Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of different threads in America are coming together over uh, their relationship and <laughs> like what that means and what people are taking it to mean. I mean, I'm kind of joking, but I'm kind of serious too. Well, definitely, people are reacting. That's for sure. Uh, it's definitely tickling something in the public uh, nervous system. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's like a political thing. I like how people think it's a psyop. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But it's, I don't think it's a psyop. But can you blame people for thinking anything's a psyop now? We can talk about it. I love I love stuff like this where it's like, you know, obviously, as we've discussed before, I follow some freaks on YouTube um, for the sake of like gawking at their freakish videos and lifestyles and and i love stuff like this that makes really dumb guys really upset (laughs) it's like like there's this one guy we follow who is so mad he doesn't even care about football but he's pumped that he has a new thing to bitch about so all he does is bitch about how often they show taylor swift during these football games yeah exactly well, you know, going way back. Oh, into dude, the time, and Travis Kelsey did. Uh, he was like the spokesman for Pfizer. Right. I think he still is. Um, <laughs> Which is yeah. like doing commercials for Halliburton. Like, right. what are you doing? Right. It's so, ridiculous. Yeah, there's but, definitely yeah. a lot to. Yeah, there's the a lot. New to, Jersey Department of Education needs a commercial. It's it's definitely a thing to yeah like decode and digest culturally. And going way back in the time machine, uh, I'm sure people will remember back in 2016. Uh, there was a uh, Kanye Taylor Swift controversy, uh, and it actually goes back farther than that. Uh, years before then was the famous moment where Kanye interrupted her uh, acceptance yeah. speech. Um, Dude, and- I want to hear what Taylor Lautner has to say about all this. <laughs> From Twilight? Yeah, well, wasn't he on stage uh, during was that? Was it the two Taylors? Was that the thing? Okay, I didn't remember that. I think so. Yeah. I think you're okay. Well, anyway, the the hot take that I you might have heard me Sorry, say. I, I, I'm the uh, administrator of the Taylor Lautner forum. <laughs> right. Don't tell I, anybody. People might not know this, but Diz actually is a contributor to People Magazine uh, and and uh, Teen Beat, so he's he's all over these stories. <laughs> yeah, Lisa's uh, Corey 
magazine. <laughs> right, right, exactly. I worked for the Corey Hotline. I'm the Corey Hotline. For them. Um, but yeah, a hot take that I had back in the life of Pablo era, that was 2016, there's there's a line on there where um, Kanye says, um, I think me and Taylor might still have sex because I made that bitch famous uh, as part of his song Famous. And then there was also a music video uh, that involved like Kanye being in bed with lots of different CGI created, you know, nowadays they would be AI created um, images of famous people. Uh, and Taylor Swift was one of them. Um, and, and the the take back then, the like, you know, five head, big brained understander take was to say that this was something that was arranged between Kanye's media people and Taylor's media people because it benefits them both to have them both discussed and, and controversying with each other. Uh, they probably don't even really have any actual animosity, um, but it's a better way to play. Uh, you know, if you're a celeb, it's a better way to play the situation uh, to, to like feed in uh, to that controversy. Now, this is not a controversial relationship that we're talking about in the modern day with Taylor and, and Travis Kelsey. They're amicable. They're not they're not beefing like Kanye and Taylor were. But I still think there is some sort of angle you can take here where you can say like both Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey, as far as I can tell, are pretty much like just big sort of asexual dummies. Like they're just kind of like these sort of, I, I don't know. They have to me, neither of them has any personality. They have this fake version of having a personality, uh, kind of like, you know, junk food personalities, but there's not, in my opinion, a lot going on behind the eyeballs. So maybe this is like a publicity arrangement, uh, more so than it is a, a serious romance. Wait, is that your take on this? I kind of think that, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't view either of them as having, Okay, Deep so that's emotions. not thinking it's a psyop, but you're kind of down that path. Not as far down as psyop, guys. Mm-hmm. Could they just like each other? Yeah, I guess Would they could. Would that be too weird? I guess they could. I mean, the NFL is, is making a lot. I, I I don't know how how factual this is and how you can really put numbers to this stuff, but people are estimating, because it makes a good story probably, that the NFL has increased in... Uh, in a worth by like $300 million since they started dating, since Taylor Swift started to go to these games. Cause now all these Swifties are, are watching her now. Hmm. And that's amazing. If, if true, yeah. big, if true, big, if true. Well, I am rooting for the chiefs. Oh dude, seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to root for the chiefs. You're rooting for the guy who does commercials for Halliburton? Okay, well. Well, I like, I, first of all, I like about. Patrick Mahomes, even though he does commercials for Subway. I still really like him. Um, and then also, um, my annoying neighbor, who all the other people on the street dislike, uh, is a big giant Niners fan, so it's fun to root against him. Okay, well, it's going to be fun to root against me. Um, <laughs> wait, what, what's there to like about Patrick Mahomes? I'm, I'm curious. Uh, nothing in particular. I just like him. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nothing I, yeah. in particular. Okay. Right. Yeah. I, I just think he's a cool athlete. He's fun to watch and I like seeing I, him win. Okay. Okay. We're on the same page. There's nothing in particular to like about Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't hate the guy. I just, uh, you know, I think he's a big nothing burger. I just think, yeah, he's really talented and it always surprises me how young he is for how successful he's been already. And I think it's cool. Okay. Cool. So you're like one of those guys who are rooting for Tom Brady when he was doing really well. Actually, I was rooting for Tom Brady. <laughs> but just because he pissed off everybody, that made it funny. 
See, Patrick yeah. Mahomes doesn't piss off every, anybody. They're, they're a, a dynasty that people like. They're a dynasty that does Fiverr commercials. Ugh, it just feels like so... Like, they're probably friends with Dinky Haley or something. Okay, now I'm doing, like, some deep state whatever establishment. Well, now you're going to get me to... Dots. Yeah, now you're definitely going to get me to turn against them. I don't know. Okay. Who would be way more likely to be friends with uh, Nikki Haley? Uh, Travis Kelsey or... Crap. Who's the guy for the Niners? George Kittle? Frank Kittle? I was going to say Brock Purdy. Not a not a big fan of him, but not, not for... Again, not for any particular reason. It's just fun to pick a... Uh, some guy didn't dislike. Exactly. So Travis Kelsey would be way more likely to be friends with with Nikki Haley. Therefore, the Niners are objectively the better team to root for. <laughs> well, I do think they are the better team. That's another reason why I'm going to root for the Chiefs. Yeah, a lot. Of, you're giving me a lot of normie answers here, Derek. I'm concerned. <laughs> well, we'll see. I think we'll see. I think there's um, there's going to be a big normie contingent that's super pro Niners because there's a big normie contingent that is annoyed uh, by the Taylor Swift stuff. That's but you know it depends on what you mean by normie. There there's a uh, you know th- th- there's the normie that likes stuff to bitch about, and then there's the normie that like actually thinks like they're a cute couple. So I, I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Right. There's a lot of different normies. Only one person's dialed in and you have to like the right team for the exact right reasons and hate the other team for the exact right reasons. And I think I'm closer between the two of us. Sorry. <laughs> I, I know I'm, I'm not, it's not, not objective. I, I just think I'm closer. Let us know what you think, everybody. I want your Super Bowl picks uh, and your reasons why the brazen heads podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. But it's like, no way the Niners are going to win. Right. Uh, they're favored. I was in Vegas this weekend. They're, they're favored, favored by two. Yeah. Really? Yep. Oh, I'm sure the lines will move around, but right. yeah, they were at the, at the Cosmopolitan sports book. They were giving two as of, you know, whatever Monday. Yeah. Well, who knows, man? I mean, <laughs> yeah, Brock Purdy. I mean, he seems like, uh, I don't know, whatever. That That's the extent of my football analysis. It stops. I'm done. Yeah. I have nothing else to say about it. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, that's an interesting scene to hang around in in Las Vegas is sitting inside the sports book areas uh, of the casinos, uh, especially late at night. Um, the, any Vegas heads out there, again, oh, get People in touch. watch, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a great place to yeah. people watch. I'd be curious to know like where people like to hang and, and do that kind of stuff. We were at the Cosmopolitan, and they have... A, a nice sports book. It's got lounge seats. It's got a chill bar with video poker and stuff like that. Uh, and it, it just so happens to be right near, like right at the street entrance into the casino. So you get, like we were there at like three in the morning and there are people in there with their kids in strollers, like coming in to just like sit down on that comfy chair uh, in the sports book. And they have to have a security guy who goes around and rouses people uh, out of the seats. I mean, it's it's crazy. Some of the things that you see, some of the lifestyles that you see in Vegas really just make you wonder uh, what people's lives are like. Uh, and then the other thing that we saw when we were hanging out Any there... Any casino, the, dude. Yeah, go people watching a, in a casino in Elko, Nevada. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, at least, you're going to see some some people. <laughs> yeah, some at people least we were in stuff, a nice man. hotel. I, I don't know. The look in their eye, it's, it's interesting. We saw this other guy come in off the street, completely normal-looking guy, good-looking guy, um, but he came in, yeah, in the middle of the night with nothing but a backpack 
and he stood at the machine where you enter in your bets. They have like a, a bet taking, you know, machine that'll print out your tickets for you um, instead of going to a teller. Uh, and he, he stood at that thing entering in bets for 45 minutes straight. I mean, seriously getting into the guts <laughs> of that machine, like nothing but just railing off like numerous, numerous bets. I don't even know if they were Super Bowl bets. I think he was betting. I'm just guessing because there was not much else on the board. I think he was betting regular season NBA games like, you know, mid like two two thirds of the way through the season NBA games. Uh, that's wild. But, you know. If you listen to Bill Simmons podcasts and stuff, you realize there is this whole underbelly subculture of like college sports dudes, uh, like dudes who were into sports big time in college who actually do believe like that there is a way uh, if you have the right system uh, to make a living as a pro sports gambler, you know, because there would be like one or two guys who would go on the podcasts uh, talking about that stuff and Man, I wonder how many. Uh, oh yeah, you people know, do that. Yeah, people do that. I wonder how many uh, inheritances and trust funds have been like zeroed out, you know, because like some <laughs> kid from college was like, you know what, I got a system, and this dude Bill Simmons interviewed gets to sit courtside at the Warriors games, and I want to do that too, and just blew it in Vegas. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that happened as well. Yep. That is. Um yeah, you and Ellen, I mean, you just like uh, looking at weird people, whether mm-hmm. it's on, you know, the internet or just when you go to, go to Vegas, let's That's just true. look at weird people. I, I can't help it. That is true. Yeah. And I, I bet Vegas has gotten worse since the, the homeless issues gotten worse, too. So there's like homeless people coming in. Hey, I, I got a question. So those people pushing the kids in the stroller, like what's... What's th- what do they look like? What's what's their deal? Uh, I'm I'm thinking of one Could specific. They look normal. I'm thinking of one specific instance that I saw, and I really did see this, of a family. It was, I think it was maybe three adults. They all looked related. Um, yeah, they looked pretty normal, uh, and they came in. Uh, yeah, late at night, but they had like fast food, like soda cups, um, and like heavy jackets. It was like you know in the fifties in Vegas, which is rare. Um, and yeah, a stroller, and I think a, another kid in tow who was not in a stroller, like maybe a you know six, seven, eight year old type uh, level. And it was yeah, it was late at night. It was inappropriate for them to be there for sure. They were not gambling. They were not drinking, uh, even not that that would be laudable either. Um, but they were they I, like getting in on their flight. I, I think I think they just came in to yeah get off the street and sit in a comfortable chair for a little while uh, until someone made them move along, and. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not mocking them. I'm not laughing at them. It just it makes you think. It just makes you wonder what their life is like. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not mocking them. I I don't know. If that wouldn't really help. But uh, oh well. Yeah. Okay. Well, Twin Peaks we got um, a good episode this week. Yeah, I'm trying to think if I have any other Vegas symbolism popping out at me as I watch. I'm trying to think if I have any other Vegas connections here. I don't really think so. We have chess uh, in this episode, but we don't have any gaming uh, connection. So, yeah, I guess so. Well, but, Ernie whatever. seems like a guy who would gamble on sports. That's true. That's Dude, true. I, I mean, I was at this party, and there were two guys there who would gamble on sports, and they were talking about it. And you would totally be able to pick out the two guys at the party who gamble on sports. <laughs> right. You could you judge could a book totally by the tell cover. who they are from like a block and a half away. Oh, yeah, that guy gambles on sports. That guy doesn't. <laughs> it's so obvious. Mm-hmm. 
after they tell you. I don't know. Maybe it's just a hindsight bias, but I don't know, man. <laughs> you no, you know, it's not hindsight. You know, <laughs> yeah. everybody knows. Um. So so what else happened in Vegas? You were saying? Oh, not much. No, just I was trying to think if there was anything else to report. Good time. Um, ate several really good meals. Uh, did not lose money. I'm not saying that I made money, um, but I did not lose money gambling. I took out a hundred. I put it into a slot machine. I almost immediately was up to like two fourteen, something like that. And then we gambled away the winnings. So we gambled the rest of it away so that we got back down to the original one hundred. Um, but you know, we got hours of gambling out of that. We played some roulette. I learned a little bit of craps, although I still don't totally understand craps. Like, do you know how to play craps? Not really. I don't. I think it's one of those things that isn't that complicated, though. Yeah. Like I've heard it explained, but I, I wouldn't feel comfortable at a table. It's no. just. Well, dude, it's what really, about blackjack? It's That's one the of those things. Yeah, I, I don't play blackjack actually. I guess I should do that sometime. Um, Oh, dude, that's the most fun game to play. Well, I don't know. I guess I don't really play craps. I guess people like doing that. But yeah, people do a lot really better like than craps. Roulette, anyway. our, our friend who we went with has, like, you know, again, going back to the thing, like, has a system, kind of, of how she bets on craps. And she did make money. Like, she was, she was, you know, obviously you can't make money in the long term, but she was doing a good enough job to stay alive for a long time uh, playing craps, which is way more than I can say for me playing roulette. But, um... Yeah, anyway, didn't to- totally lose money, ate some incredible food. If anyone is a Vegas person, yeah, feel free to get in touch, but I'll just say uh, Zuma at the Cosmopolitan, that that restaurant is bananas. That's the second time that we've been there, and it is insane. Um, and one other little pro tip, I thought this was so cool because um, when we were flying out there, we had a pilot um, who was like sitting next to us. Um, he was like just hitching a ride. Um, not flying the plane, but just like a passenger. And uh, I was talking to him a little bit and uh, he said, and he asked us where we were staying. So I told him the Cosmo. He said, oh, you go to this one bar uh, at the Cosmo. They have this secret drink. It's never been listed on their menu, but it's like a thing that they're known for uh, just by word of mouth. Uh, And this drink has a special flower um, that is served with it. And it's this, it's, it's called a Szechuan button. You can look that up. Szechuan button, like Szechuan Chinese food. Um, and when you chew this flower, it like transforms your taste buds. There's like a chemical reaction that like changes your whole like taste palette for like 15 minutes. So you're supposed to like drink half of the drink and then chew up this flower uh, and then like taste the drink again and it tastes totally different. It was pretty freaking cool. So th- those are a little, that's a little pro tip for any... Uh, Vegas tourists. It's called the Verbena. I asked for this drink called the Verbena, and yeah, it's it's pretty cool. So there, there's a little Vegas anecdote for you. Okay, sounds exciting. Okay, so you had the drink. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep, I had it. It was good. Oh, also, fun uh, tidbit: Air Force One was landing at LAX at the exact time when we took off, so we were delayed for like 15 minutes. Uh, and the pilot told us that they used to shut down the airport for like two to four hours. Uh, like all air traffic stopped when Air Force One was coming in or out. And it was like a huge annoyance. But now they just do it for like a really short time period because they're like better at, you know, whatever, all their security protocols. Hmm. So we got to see, we didn't see Air Force One uh, in person because it lands at this crazy like back portion of LAX that is not like publicly accessible. But we did see the, 
uh, helicopter escorts. There's like four military helicopters that often uh, like trail or escort Air Force One. And we did see those like out the window of the terminal. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Dude, I mean, we can make fun of Biden all, all day if we want, but he's just like so much more important than we are. <laughs> yeah, I don't it's travel. Just, like it's not that. even close. Yep. It's like, what's the point? Yeah, he's he's senile. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> LAX shuts down for 15 minutes when he lands, and there's like all these people. Yeah, dude, when Diz lands, nobody cares. That's right. <laughs> nobody cares, dude. So I don't know. All right. Uh, episode... When I'm president, I'll do fireside chats about Twin Peaks. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. That'll be what we're reminiscing about. Biden became uh, began his political career during the Nixon administration. Uh, so that is how we can age him. That's an insane factoid that will help age him. And for us, when we're uh, his age, we can look back on the fact that uh, we were talking about Twin Peaks because <laughs> that's how far back we go. Uh, yeah, in our day. Um, so yeah, on that note, uh, episode 18. Uh, Dude, when I'm 80 and I talk about Twin Peaks, are people going to know what that is? Well. Now I have to live to 80 to find I th- out. I think the answer is yes. I mean, much much more than many other TV shows, I think the odds are pretty good that its legacy yeah. will live on. Put it that way. Um, okay, Log Lady intro. Uh, first of all, the title of this episode you said is "Brother Dispute Between Brothers." Dispute between brothers. Okay. Um, Log Lady says, "Is life like a game of chess? Are our present moves important for future success? I think so. We paint our future with every present brushstroke: painting, colors, shapes, textures, composition, repetition of shapes, contrast. Let nature guide us. Nature is the great teacher. Who is the principal?" Sometimes jokes are welcome, like the one about the kid who said, I enjoyed school. It was just the principle of the thing. It's a knee slapper. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, whenever you read those intros, I'm just sitting here with my eyes closed trying to figure out what she's trying to say. Yeah. I get the sense, like, if, if you wrote that in 11th grade and gave it to me, I would have said, like, this is gay. Yeah, you're trying too hard. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I I don't know what that means. The, the I think we discussed this before. Like the origin joke? of these log lady intros is that they were written later. Yeah, weren't they? Like they were not yeah, originally. Yeah. They aired. were written for the Bravo when they. Yes, yes, that's right. Uh, ran them and yeah, the reruns. Yeah. So, you know, what are you supposed to say? I I think that you know, I think it's interesting. You know, uh, Lynch is a visual artist he's actually like a very talented painter who has been exhibited uh around the world um the cafe scene in season three with monica bellucci was actually filmed uh, at a gallery that lynch was exhibiting at uh i learned that from the twin perfect video so that's pretty badass um so the mention of you know painting colors shapes textures composition repetition of shapes uh contrast i think that's you know those are obviously themes that come into play here we have um multiple different brotherhood type relationships uh, that are repeated uh, in this episode thematically. We have a, a thing with contrast between the White Lodge and the Black Lodge, uh, between uh, Denise Bryson and Dennis Bryson, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, so, 
Yeah, there's some themes. But then, of course, there's also the chess thing, uh, which we'll get into later with uh, Wyndham Merle. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Doc Haver's trying offering to drug up Sarah for the funeral. That's always a sweet conversation to have with somebody. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she says no, but we know that Sarah doesn't say no to drugs for long. Because she is buying an awesome amount of liquor in season three. Oh, yeah. Well, that's definitely true. Yeah. Okay. Now, wait a minute. Hold on here. I, I mean, did they? Yeah. You're you're talking about the scene. You're talking about the scene from the last episode. Make sure we get our episode right. Uh, no, it's at the beginning of this episode. Because they have the funeral in this episode at the beginning. Um. Okay, wait. Didn't we talk about that episode already? <laughs> Wait, what? No, I mean, no. That's, wait, wait, wait a minute. Did we not talk about that episode? Oh, we we skipped over that episode the last time we recorded uh, because of because we only did Agira. Is that right? Right, yeah, yeah. We only talked about Agira last time. Ah, shit. Okay, you know what? I did the wrong long lady intro. I have them both written down here. Okay, no wonder oh. it doesn't seem like it applies. Yeah. Okay, that makes more sense now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wait, but okay, the so title the but the title of episode so you're talking about episode seventeen. Right. Okay, but the title of that episode, that's not dispute between brothers, is it? Yeah. Wait, what? I don't I don't know I them by so. I don't know them by their title, but that really surprises me because um what you call it? Because the brothers, Dwayne and Dougie, are so much of a big deal in the next episode. Yeah, but they get introduced in this episode, but I think there's other pairs of brothers yeah, okay. you can call them in this episode. That's, That's true. I think. That's true. Okay. Um, all right. Well, ignore that log lady intro. Forget about that. We'll do that one next time. <laughs> That's for the next episode. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, okay, you're right. Okay, I'm going to switch to, I'm switching to episode 17. Yeah, we're three days after the death of Leland here. And like you said, that's Doc Hayward giving Sarah uh, a sedative. Um, yeah, and you're right. That is interesting. It's like she wants to be fully present. But the whole thing, of course, when we get into season three is that that's long gone. You know, how is Sarah going to navigate her life? Uh, it's it's going to involve recourse to substances. Yeah, and they even call they even say out loud that she was drugged up by Leland while he yes molested Laura. Yes, I wonder if that has anything to do with it. Don't you think it's kind of weird that they had to mention that? And I and I could just get the feeling that Lynch would not have allowed something like that. Yeah, it's a little bit on the nose, and it's just kind of weird. Like you wouldn't say it. It just feels weird. I I don't know. You know, I don't want to read too much into this. I do like this episode. I mean, it's a lot of fun, but yeah, no this this episode is uh, definitely better uh, than the next one that we're going to get into. So stay tuned for that. But uh, <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, so yeah, we're setting things up in this scene for Leland's funeral, um, and yeah, Cooper is kind of comforting Sarah, you know, and says you know, it wasn't really Leland who did these things. Uh, and in his last moments, like that evil that Leland was subjected to because he was abused as a boy um, was sort of resolved. Uh, and Leland like had sort of a moment of clarity and Laura welcomed him into 
you know, the, the other world or the afterlife or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Leland fell victim when he was innocent and trusting. Yeah. Yeah, and Sarah takes some comfort in that. Yeah. I think uh, I would too. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, so then, yeah, we have this strange sort of wake scene. Or what, what do you call it? It's not the wake. It's like the reception at the house after a funeral. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what that's called. Just yeah, reception. It's something. Yeah, like a reception. Um, and yeah, there, there's like some crazy like synth music that plays when they're first laying out the dishes. I have like the music noted uh, here. It's kind of crazy. And um, it, it's like... It's like the previous episode, obviously, where we're like we sort of resolved the Leland arc. It's like it's like the end of one chapter of the Twin Peaks narrative, and so like this is one of those scenes, and there's other ones where you kind of are like kind of revisiting everybody, um, and, like you're seeing them all like hang out together at the Palmer household uh, as part of this uh, service, and so we visit like with Nadine, for example, and we learn that she's still having this amnesia. Um, and like Hank is there and he's like being a nice guy and brings Sarah Palmer a plate of food. It's like, what a weird like intersection of, you know, people from this show that you don't really think about having any relationship together. Well, I mean, Hank's just such a sleazeball. I mean, I think that's how he's supposed to come off. I mean, I like him. Right, right. But, but he's just really laying it on thick that he's a total sleaze. Mm-hmm. But he's charming and people like him and you get it. He can, he can turn it on. Right, it's like a a bully being really nice to like a parent at a school or something like that, yeah. like in a super. Oh, hello, Mrs. Way. Foster. How are <laughs> right. you? Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, and like Audrey Horn is sort of consoling Sarah Palmer, um, and uh, Big Ed is talking to Donna and says like, you know, don't worry about James, because uh, because James has run off already, right? Mm-hmm. Um. And Major Briggs is there, uh, and he greets Dr. Jacoby, who we haven't seen in a while. Um, and well, so, well, now you know that he's not the one who did it. Right, right. Now he might be an interesting character. Like he's wearing these zoot suits and he's in the Hawaiian stuff. What's going on? Right, he's just back from a trip to Hawaii. He says. Um, and then Major Briggs invites Cooper out for uh, an enjoyable night, uh, uh, enjoyable uh, camping trip with some night fishing. Uh, which we'll see later in the episode. Um, and then finally, uh, the mayor and his brother, that's Dwayne and Dougie, uh, are b- bickering about a woman, uh, including like sort of disrupting the service and fighting with each other so that they have to get sort of like separated. So would this be an indication? Is this telling you that Lynch is no longer a part of this? Those two characters? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I really like the mayor, though. I do think that he's funny. It's just the way that that old man talks. <laughs> like, there's the, he's got some comedy there. <laughs> I mean, he's 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 old. He just he's so old. He just sounds old like that, and that's funny. Yeah, that's what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, something about his his voice, his speech pattern is is funny to me. But yeah, you're right. It's not exactly Lynchian. Uh, even it's not exactly even Lynchian comic relief. It's just sort of goofy. Nadine's concerned that guys are going to look up her shoes, look oh, at yeah, her shoes, right. up her dress because her shoes are shiny. That's right. Yep. That's weird. 
And I have here written, find someone who looks at you the way Norma looks at Big Ed. Yeah. Yep. Norma and Big Ed. But I think we get some explanation of why it would just be impossible for Norma and Big Ed to ever get together. I mean, I know they did in season three, but does that even count as just fan service? I think in real life they never would have gotten together. And I think we get good indication of that later on because we see her talk with her mom and their two husbands, Ernie and Hank. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think there's just a lot of uh, parallelism, Derek. Yeah, Norma's family relationships are uh, a key part of her character, uh, which, yeah, we're learning learning more about. And, yeah, those patterns play into your romantic relationships. If there's, uh, I, I'm, I'm no therapist, but I know that. That is true. You, that's um, 95% of it, so I feel stupid the way you sum up my life like that, but... <laughs> Well, okay. it's your job, but everyone's living it to some extent. So, yeah, it's it's relatable when you see it in the character uh, of Norma. I can't remember. Oh, yeah, that'll happen. What's going on in the next scene with, with um, mm-hmm. Bobby and Shelley? Mm-hmm. Uh, and also it'll come up again with Norma later on uh, in this very episode. But, yeah, you're right. Okay, we'll get to Bobby and Shelley in a minute. One quick other thing that happens before then uh, okay. is... Um, yeah, well, Big Ed asked the principal to let Nadine back into high school. They feel that it'll be helpful for her amnesia. Oh, right, yeah. Uh, doesn't matter, but they're setting up that. I don't know, Derek. For some reason, I didn't feel the need to make a note at that right. scene. Almost not even noteworthy. <laughs> uh, but here it is in my notes, yeah. Um, okay, and then Audrey visits Cooper uh, as he's checking out of the Great Northern and getting ready to go on his final like farewell fishing trip. Um because this whole plot line is sort of wrapping up, uh, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Um, and so, yeah, Audrey's sort of, you know, kind of like being intimate with him, and, and Cooper just explains, you know, that he, he that they can't really have a relationship, and, and, you know, she says, what, did somebody hurt you? And he says, someone was hurt by me. And he tells the story that Cooper and his old partner, Wyndham Earl, were supposed to protect this woman who was a witness an attempt was made on her life. Uh, Cooper was not ready. Uh, she died in his arms. Cooper was badly injured, and Earl lost his mind. Um, and yeah, um, and then so he kind of looks off in the distance and goes, Ugh. "Yeah, kind of yeah. like James, a little bit more refined, more mature, yes, it's, but not it's too coop, different from James." Yes, it's a coop emo moment. Uh, I think you could say he's really. I just make things worse. Oh, I'm gonna leave town. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But they but they say a sweet goodbye to each other and part ways uh, as friends. Um, and then we have yes, Bobby uh, and Shelley back at home with uh, Leo still, and uh, Bobby is you know energetic and he's ready to get go out for a job interview. He's got he's going to have an interview with Ben Horn. And if he can land this job, it'll turn everything around for them because they're in these, you know, the doldrums of having to deal with Leo. And Shelly is restless. She wants to get out of the house and, and move on with their life. Yeah, imagine that that ended up being a bad idea, taking care yeah. of Leo for yeah. the insurance money. Yep. Um, you were going to say that there's like some dynamics playing out here that are reflective. Oh, yeah, because she the, says, you know, the Leo, uh, the, the suit fits Leo a little tighter. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you're just like Leo, but 
less filled out, <laughs> like less of a man. And and Bobby's looking on himself. I mean, Leo has, you know, the 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 mirror is propped up on Leo's lap as Bobby's looking at himself. Mm. That's a good point. Yeah, I didn't think about it that way. Yeah, that's kind of makes you think. Yeah. Yep. And and Bobby is sort of childish, uh, you know, in this scene. And well, well, um, well, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, go. No, no, and, and I was just going to say, and we'll see that again later on. Like Bobby is, you know, the, Shelley's the love of his life, but we're going to see later on that Bobby is still um, sort of this kid who will get excited about, you know, seeing Audrey Horn or whatever, regardless of the, this like serious situation that he that he has to try to solve here at home. Yep, yeah, I'm really fighting to make a, not make a comment about irregardless, but okay. Did That's I say true. that? I just had to hold my breath. Holy moly. Okay, when I was being if I said that I was being sarcastic. Okay, good. <laughs> and then um, um yeah, and you know, you said something about music, but then the music when Bobby's in this episode. Is it in other episodes too, but it's like um it's like a jazzier yakety sax. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, I think I know Just what you're talking like about. It's kind of like goofy. This guy's a goofball. And then later when he's wearing the suit, like he just, you know, he acts like a little kid in his suit. Like you could tell he, he doesn't wear suits often. Definitely. That's how I look like when I when I'm in a suit. So, you know. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> I, know how it is. I can relate I know to that. How it is. Yes. Um, okay, the next thing that I got here is Catherine visiting Sheriff Truman uh, at yeah, the but, police but station. First there's running water from a rusty spout. And where the heck is that from? Oh, really? Yeah, it's just like another weird thing. Oh, wow. Okay. I have no idea where it's from. I didn't notice that one. Is that related to like the sprinkler system from before with Leland? Uh, no. No, it's not okay. that kind. Of, I mean, it's like a rusty spout that looked like it would be on some outdoor spigot somewhere. Oh, interesting. Okay. And it has nothing to do with the Shelley and Bobby scene, nothing to do with the Truman and Catherine scene. Damn. Okay. I can't believe I missed that. Okay. Interesting. Sweet acting, Truman, by the way. Uh, excuse me, Catherine, but aren't you dead? Aren't you dead? Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Get, like, I was... the Keanu Reeves school of acting for that line. Yeah. Truman uh. is not... He's not the best actor in the universe. And uh, man, we'll get into it in the next episode. But when Truman and Josie have a scene together, oh my God, it can be brutal. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. But yeah, Catherine tells the story. Uh, well, you know, I don't know how much of this you believe might be true or not. But, you know, Catherine tells the story about the night of the fire. And she says that, you know, after she was freed, um, she believes that a guardian angel led her to her old family cabin at Pearl Lakes, which is the same place where Leland said that he, you know, had his family cabin and That's where he right. was first, first, uh, right. you know, yep. invaded by Bob or whatever you want to call it. So, I mean, is that true or is Catherine just telling some tall tale about what happened that night? Well, I got the impression that she's telling the tall tale. Yeah, that's not really yeah. what happened. Yeah, I, I kind of think so, too, but it's interesting that she mentioned Pearl Lakes. I don't know. I mean, what, what really happened that night? P Pete saved her? I remember Pete running in there. Uh, I'm wasn't I'm she pretty... never really in danger? I mean, she was... She, I mean, was... she knew what was going to happen. 
Yeah, she got out of there. I, I, I Shelly think... Shelly was tied up in there, right? And Catherine went in and talked to Shelly. Like, what are you doing here? Like, I remember her, like, taking the tape off Shelly's mouth or whatever. Right. But then, like, the fire starts to get really bad, and it kind of, like, crashes around them, and they're in danger. And I remember Pete going in after her. But I guess Pete couldn't have been, Pete could not have rescued her because um, he he thinks that Catherine is dead. Yeah. Um, so, no, yeah. I think Catherine planned that whole thing to get back at uh, Ben Horn. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, so, def- yeah. definitely. So I, I guess yeah. she's lying, which would kind of incriminate her, right? If she goes to a police officer and offers up lies without being questioned. Hmm. Well, maybe she's confident she can get away with it. Mm. Catherine's okay. sneaky. Yeah. Well, who does she say did it? I'm so stupid about the actual plot because obviously none of this matters in terms <laughs> of the overall like narrative. But like, what did, is she saying that Leo did it? Uh, I don't think she even brought up who 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 started the fire. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Um. Anyway, we'll talk more I mean, about. She Catherine does mention on. seeing Shelley there. Yeah. In this episode. That's right. She does say that. That's right. Um, okay. Well, next we have more stuff that doesn't matter, and that's uh, Dick Tremaine, uh, Lucy's uh, former uh, uh, boyfriend. And he's trying to win Lucy over, uh, and so he's decided to sign up to be a big brother um, and trying to show that like he's a good guy and he can handle it if Lucy is pregnant or whatever. Uh, and Andy sort of steps in and, and kind of stands his ground and, and asserts that, you know, for the sake of the baby, all three of them uh, need to be friends for now until until we find out who the father is. Yeah, I love how much pain Andy is in as he's delivering that line. You know, it's the last thing he really wants to do, but he knows that uh, Lucy's going to like it. Excuse me. Right. <laughs> He's like out of breath. He goes around the corner and he sees Hawk and he's like, he's panting like, <gasps> like, oh, right. doing the right thing hurts so bad. Oh God. Um. Okay. So now like if you're seeing this for the first time, right? Like you're thinking to yourself like, okay, this is, this is all winding down, right? Like Cooper is done here. He, so and we is have that this. Another, but wait, sorry. But is that another dispute between brothers, uh, Dick versus Andy? Mm, mm, nice. Yeah, I think that's a good that's a good point, and also just the fact that it's kind of like the Big Brother uh, program. I don't know if that's exactly what they call it, but that's obviously like what it is. Yep, yeah, it's yeah. the Big Brother program. Um, okay, so Cooper is saying his his goodbyes now because you know, as far as we know, this is this is all over. Um, so he says, you know, he's in Harry's office. He's saying goodbye to Harry. Harry gives him a fishing lure for his fishing trip. That he tied himself. It's a green butt skunk fishing lure. Uh, and he gives him a patch for the bookhouse boys. And Cooper says, Harry, I am honored beyond my ability to express myself. Uh, and he says bye to Hawk, Andy, and Lucy, who are all sort of lined up, uh, like at attention, uh, to, to bid a fond farewell to their authority figure, Cooper. And uh, Don't they take him out to dinner? Yeah, right. It's kind of a... It's a weird sort of send off. I guess he has to leave in the middle of the day for some reason. I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, that's the set they had. So, and then uh, a Mountie comes in with a FBI man named Roger Hardy, 
And this is our like dun 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 cliffhanger episode. <laughs> uh, you know, before we go to the commercial, um, Cooper has been suspended uh, from get the bureau. The plane. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Effective immediately. I think it even does like a little like zoom into his face, like the classic uh, commercial <laughs> break shot yeah. there. Yep. So they inform him that he's been uh, suspended, and we'll get into the details of that uh, later on. But basically, it's because of all the shenanigans that have gone down across the border at One-Eyed Jacks and so forth. Dude, I'm looking that up. So that would be an Oregon um, soap opera. Mm-hmm. Sorry, fact. Sorry about mm-hmm. this. Yeah, so wait, he went across the border, and I guess there was some... Um, so there was taking out uh, Jean Renault for a long time for six months. This is what the Mountie was saying. Right. And then them going to one eyed Jacks that one night where they killed where Blackie was killed and they killed that security guard or Hawk did with the knife. Mm-hmm. That's it, that's what he's in trouble for. So Right. It it like it like blew the case also because I think I think part of the point is that as far as they know right now, Jean Renault has disappeared. Like we haven't we haven't right. been seen, you know, like, like, like if you were investigating him, like he hasn't been seen since then. Um, so, yeah. Um, okay. Next, we have Bobby trying to get in for his interview with Ben Horn and the secretary won't let him in. Turns out he doesn't have an appointment. He's just like trying to blag his way in. I'm going to um, show up. Yeah. So then he meets Audrey <laughs> out in the hallway and uh, Audrey sorts it out for him and, and gets him in. Um uh, but then he just kicks him right back out again. <laughs> immediately. Yeah. So he said yes. Okay, I'll see your friend Bobby. And then immediately. So how annoying was Bobby being for the, for three seconds? <laughs> right. <laughs> nope, never mind. <laughs> exactly. Gotta love that. I was going to give you a shot, but you were so annoying so fast. Yep. Like, what does Audrey have in her basket that she's carrying as she's walking towards Bobby? I don't know. It's like scarves or something, or is that just for the purpose when she goes in to, to see her dad, he's holding the basket and you know he's being an eight year old. He can't sit still for three seconds and he's slinging the basket around. Right, right. I see a lot of myself and Bobby. That's scary. <laughs> yeah, I'm twice. I'm more than twice his age now <laughs> as he is in the show. Right, dude. I, I got to get things together, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, on. let me ask I, you dude, this. I would totally do that. If I had a basket, I would swing it around in circles. And be like, oh, look. Ooh. When, you, when you're about to go into a meeting, do you stick your gum against the wall so that you can get it back later after the meeting is over? That's the real. <laughs> such a dope move. Yeah. Is that what he is it planned out or is he just being a dipshit? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> is it both? Who knows? That's a cool Bobby. move. I love Bobby, though. He's great. Yeah. He's okay, trying, so, you know, he's out there scheming. I like it. Exactly, yeah. And it'll it'll all be fine for him. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the FBI guy and the Mountie are talking to Coop. We're revisiting our dun-dun-dun cliffhanger. Uh, and they tell him that he has 24 hours to assemble his defense. Uh, and basically, they try to ask Sheriff Truman about it, and he doesn't want to talk. He's not going to give them anything because he's defending his buddy, uh, Cooper, the best lawman that he ever worked with. Um 
Okay, finally we get to move on to the most important scene of the episode, which is Nadine trying out for the cheerleading squad. <laughs> dude, I, dude, I want like a, a, on the Twin Peaks DVD. I want the the, the the bonus feature to be Twin Peaks, but with everything except Nadine cut out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like just seven and a half minutes of awesomeness. This this scene is insane. And talk about stuff that makes you really see that Lynch is not involved at all. <laughs> like this this is one of those where it's just like none of this makes any sense. Like not only is it like not that funny or anything like that, but it's also so weirdly like clumsily done. There there's this part where like it's supposed to be Nadine's turn to try out for the cheerleading squad and it it goes into slow-mo and then you just hear like a bad like voiceover of her saying hold on i'm going to throw you but like it's obviously like just recorded later when and, like she like throws the guy like way too far up in the air or whatever it's it's totally stupid and clumsy <laughs> yeah i mean it's like something you would make it in your like a high school movie mhm like like some like clip show you would make for for like uh history class or something exactly yeah yeah it's something you would do um dude you know what you know what would be sweet is okay so you know they have abridged versions of uh, you know like late miserable and toys of the sea i would like all the stuff they cut out for the abridged books i would like that put into a separate book that actually would be sweet right yeah. That's a good idea. Well, for those books, it would make perfect sense because those could literally be like little essays or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, that's just. And you would have a lot of it too. Like if you were taking yeah. notes of like what's the plot line of Toilers, like I can give you that in about five lines. <laughs> but you know, it's all the other stuff that you got to care about. Yeah, dude, Juliet's got to work. Yeah. It's got a reverie about octopuses. There are creatures in the abyss. That's for sure. <laughs> oh yeah. Um. Okay, uh, Shelly is on the phone with Bobby, and uh, Leo moves. She she says that Leo moved, or that or do we see it? I can't remember. Yeah, I mean he lo- he moves his wheelchair in okay, front. of Okay, yeah, right. The wheelchair moves. Yeah, yeah and then the wheel moves in front of yes. Shelly as she's so it's you know right. Okay, and that's all we get from that for now. And um, yeah, since I was off by an episode, I I am one episode ahead of this, and I will just tell you, like, we're not going to revisit that for a second uh, <laughs> anyway. So another thing about this that's so weird is all this stuff is dragging on. Like, I don't know if you even remember at this point. So we're talking about episode 17 right now. Wyndham Earl sent his first chess move to Cooper in episode 15. Yeah. Three episodes, or two episodes ago. It's like, what? <laughs> it's not, dude, I, I think that's all right. I mean, yeah. they're just dripping it in. Yeah. It, it's, it's. I mean, he yeah. is this really bad guy who's perfectly cast. Yeah, so we'll get we'll get to that stuff later, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay. Uh, Norma got. Around. Yeah, Norma got a bad review from the the travel magazine. If you remember from uh, when Hank and Norma were preparing the restaurant, um, and it turns out her mom reveals that she is the one who wrote it. She is the secret restaurant critic. Um. And she says that, uh, you know, she was just telling the truth and, quote, some standards have to prevail. Uh, And Norma says, what about the standards of common decency and kindness? And Norma sends her off and says, I want you out of my life and tells her to go back to Seattle. Pretty, pretty strong stuff. And Norma's going no contact, as the as the kids on Reddit would say. Yeah, kind of being a biatch. Yeah. Although I'm, I'm sure Norma makes good food. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, we have every indication that it is actually a very good restaurant. Yes. And then in season three, I mean, she she's being offered to franchise them. Right. They're successful. She has so a successful business. It doesn't make business. sense that her mom, unless it's just all a metaphor for her mom not liking her. Well, I'm not saying that I have any firsthand experience with this difficult mothers at all. And I would never say that. But <laughs> I suspect that perhaps maybe Norma's mom's mom was a bee. Uh, and just that that pattern is playing out down through the generation, uh, and it's and Norma has to be the one to uh, to take a stand and intercede sometimes. Yeah, I mean, look, it all comes down to does the dar- Double R Diners sell good food? Yeah, and I would have to say yes. I mean, Toad yeah. likes it. <laughs> exactly. I also really like Toad guy. a lot. So exactly. Bobby and Toad. I'm like a mix of the two, actually. <laughs> When you think right. about it. <laughs> right. All right. Um, okay, so Hank and Ernie are off at One-Eyed Jack's. Mm-hmm. They're partying. They're on a hunting trip, quote-unquote. Um, but really, they're partying off at One-Eyed Jack's. And Jean Renault greets them there. Um, and so this is like an introduction. Like, Hank is arranging this introduction of Ernie to Jean Renault. So it's just part of Hank's, like, you know, gangster scheming here. And... Um, so basically Hank tells the backstory, which we actually saw this happen. It's just that it was left unresolved from way back when, when there was the episode where they sort of raided One-Eyed Jacks to save Audrey. Um, I don't know if, if we even remember this, but we, we mentioned it uh, briefly that Hank was there uh, when all that stuff was going down uh, at One-Eyed Jacks. And Jean Renault like ambushed him uh, out in the woods. And Hank pulled out a stolen or faked... Uh, state prosecutor's uh, credential that he had on him. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like what saved Hank's bacon in that moment. Uh, and so anyway, the arrangement apparently that they made, we're getting this backstory explained to us now in this scene, uh, is that um, Jean Renault wants Ernie to uh, run some drugs across the border uh, for him. Because obviously this is like what Jacques and Leo used to do and they're not available anymore. Um, And also um, part of the whole idea here um, is to frame up Cooper uh, as well, right? Like, so they're giving him the cocaine and they say that there's four kilos for us and just a little to put the last nail uh, in Cooper's coffin. So this is a setup. And that other guy who's there, uh, in this scene is the Mountie, right? It's the guy who was there with the FBI guy. Oh, is it? I'm pretty sure that it is. I'm pretty sure that's like the connection there. So like, the, I don't know, like if this guy is a bad guy, like sincerely working with Jean Renault, or if he's still trying to do the, um, what do you call it? The like undercover investigation. I think it's the former, right? I think you're supposed to think like, no, they really are, screwing over Dale Cooper here and this guy's actually loyal to Jean Renault. Yeah. I but, think that's but what But he it was is. wearing a wig, right, when he was at the police station in, in Twin Peaks. Uh was he? I thought maybe he just had like the Mountie hat together. on. Those were the, that's the same guy. I don't know. This is one of those things we'll we'll get into it later. This is one of those things very similar also to the Thomas Eckhart, Andrew Packard stuff, which we'll get into later, where it's just like 
at a certain point, there's kind of too many guys, and it's getting confusing <laughs> because you just have too many dudes here, and I'm not sure who's who. I forgot. Dude, um, I think right. that's what was happening there, and it doesn't matter anyway, but I think so. Yeah. So there's a commentary here, right? Like, Norman or Mom are fighting, and then Hank and Ernie and out basically being the same guy. Like, oh, no, we're we're getting it back together, but we're not really. Right, right. Good point. Yeah, like you think someone might be reformed or whatever, and then, of course, they're not. <clears throat> and, um, yeah, for sure. I think that's true. Okay, uh, next scene, the penultimate scene here, is Josie shows up injured uh, at Truman's door and just kind of, like, faints into Truman's arms or whatever. Um, so the last we saw of Josie, she was getting hauled away uh, by the slab-faced guy, uh, to go be returned back to yeah, well, Mr. happened to him beating up Hank? Yeah, right. Nothing really came of that either. <laughs> that that dude, Whoops. that was the scene that ended the episode. Yeah. So you're thinking, oh, crap, this is going somewhere. Right. You might think that, yeah, related to something. <laughs> Seems like it doesn't. No, guess not. Um, yeah. So uh, we don't really know what's going on with Josie, and, and we're not going to find out. It's sort of just like a another little plot thread that's left hanging here. Dude, I, I don't know if it's just because their relationship is incredibly cringe at this point, but but Truman just greeting Josie and kissing her, it just, ugh. Mm-hmm. I don't like it, dude. It's just <laughs> yeah. weird. It's going to get worse. There, There's a bad scene between them in the next episode as well. But yeah, uh, but yeah no spoilers, but you know th- th- those plot lines will be wrapped up soon. Um, okay, and then our final kind of cool scene. I mean, anything to me that has Major Briggs in it is cool. Uh, the beloved beloved character. Um, but finally, we see him and Cooper out on their night fishing uh, uh, adventure. And they're talking about, you know, Bob. They're talking about, you know, what happened here, digesting uh, the Leland Palmer affair. And uh, Major Briggs says uh, regarding Bob and Leland, there are powerful forces of evil, and it is some men's fate to face great darkness. We each choose how to react. If the choice is fear, then we become vulnerable to darkness. There are ways to resist. You, sir, were blessed with certain gifts. In this respect, you are not alone. Have you ever heard of the White Lodge? And then just about when they're about to get into it, you get the ooh, White Lodge, what's going on here? Uh, then Cooper gets up to go pee. We have this uh, creepy camera shot that's like down through the underbrush of the woods, so, like something moving towards them. Uh, Briggs Which gives you Coop- assume is Bob, right? Yeah, I don't know something. I guess I don't yeah, know what else you would had think that it is. creepy camera angle before, and it was implied that it was Bob. Yeah, yeah. Um, Cooper goes off to go pee and Briggs gives him the the thumbs up very similar to like what the, you know, big old door uh, room service guy uh, would do and uh, and what Cooper has done before. Um, We hear and see an owl. Uh, The owls are not what they seem. And then there's a bright flash of light and Major Briggs yells out for Cooper. We see a little hooded silhouette very briefly there. uh, And then Major Briggs is gone. The light goes away, uh, and those are our credits. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess the, you know, Cooper's not leaving town just yet. Right. 
And I don't know if you noticed, but Major Briggs, was, uh, he had a marshmallow over the fire, and it caught fire. Mm-hmm. And then there was a cutaway. And then in the next scene, he didn't have a, the, the marshmallow wasn't on fire. Mm, it was like an awkward damn. cutaway right as the marshmallow caught on fire. And so this is Lynch. You'd be thinking, ooh, what does that mean? But now you're just thinking, well, they just... <laughs> They just fucked that up. Yeah. Continuity error. Yeah. But, but wouldn't you just shoot that again? I mean, it's just kind of awkward that the... Well, I guess you didn't notice, did you? Like, you yeah, didn't. I, I guess I didn't notice yeah, it. Yeah, guess. that's interesting. Yeah. Well, anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, since I did uh, actually wind up getting one episode ahead and watch the next one, I guess what I'll say to kind of wrap up episode 17 is that this is really the transition between the the amazing first nine episodes of season two, which kind of resolves the entire Laura Palmer arc while also like, you know, introducing a lot of cool stuff and having, you know, multiple different like awesome Lynch directed episodes. And now this is our transition into what's going to become the next phase of season two, which according to Twin Perfect really is the phase in which, you know, Lynch is no longer connected to the show and and things kind of go off in all sorts of different directions. But I still think that this episode is actually really awesome. Like, there's lots of cool stuff in here. Um, uh, just aside from Nadine trying out for the cheerleading team. <laughs> Sorry, dude. I'm, I'm counting all the episodes. So there's Did 10 I... solid episodes of just Exactly. This awesomeness. would be the 10th one. Yeah, this would be the 10th one in season two. And, no, I'm, uh, I'm saying there's 10 more of just really bad until we get to the last episode. <laughs> true. That's all. That's also true, yes. Right, because the the final episode of season two, directed by Lynch, uh, is episode 29 uh, of the show. And I happen to know that because there's a famous, well, not famous, but to me, there's a renowned uh, Mushroom Head song called Episode 29 uh, that includes lots of samples and cool clips from that episode. Any uh, 90s Cleveland metal heads uh, will, of course, know the classic uh, Cleveland metal band Mushroom Head. Mushroom Head. It's the band that Slipknot stole their entire, entire gimmick from before Slipknot became a ginormous uh, national uh, touring act. Uh, true, true, uh, little known fact that was all stolen uh, and marketed uh, with Slipknot by the record company, uh, but Mushroomhead were the originators uh, of that style and uh, never got their proper due. So that's a, a good Cleveland underdog story for everybody. Look up Mushroomhead. <clears throat> is there like a point of connection where, like, oh, this is w- when they stole it? And we know they stole it because of A, B, and C. I don't. I don't want to like pull the hipster card here, but I was literally at a mushroom head show when I was in high school, where there was a dude handing out flyers at the door that literally had an essay printed out on them that explained the entire story uh, of how things went down between Mushroom Head and their aborted uh, record contract negotiations, and how the label basically screwed them over. And didn't want to pay Mushroomhead, so instead they t- stole the gimmick uh, and recruited this other normie band, like a regular band from Iowa instead of from Cleveland, 
uh, named Slipknot and told them like, hey, you guys should dress up in these outfits and do this style because we're seeing a lot of success uh, with this sort of uh, band uh, presentation. And that's how Slipknot yeah, was formed. I, I bet there's a really good YouTube video about it. I yeah, I wonder. I, I don't know how much that story has ever become like known and reported. It was definitely just something that was you know, discussed uh, at the shows back then in, in the in the old days at the venues like the Flying Machine uh, in Cleveland in the late <laughs> 90s and early 2000s. You know, I, I don't know. Part of me wants to say, I think I've heard of Mushroom Head. Mm-hmm. Maybe I've heard you talk about it or something. I mean, I didn't. Legends, legends of the Cleveland music scene, but didn't really take off super big. They did wind up going national. They wound up appearing on a couple like horror movie soundtracks and had a couple music videos, but it was a little bit too late and Slipknot was already a thing. But in their day, there's a self-titled debut album from like 95. There's another album called Super Buick uh, that was legendary in the Cleveland underground of the late 90s. Anyway, that's a story for a different day, but uh, but yeah. Episode 29 by Mushroom Head is full of references to the season finale of season two of Twin Peaks. Oh, cool. They also use a lot of Firewalk With Me samples. There's a track on Super Buick called These Filthy Hands, which is a reference to the scene where Laura gets called down for dinner and Leland yells at her about not washing her hands. Yeah. Yeah, I can't wait to watch that again. Mm-hmm. Dude, um, okay, Mushroom Head. I'm sorry, I'm thinking. Okay, what about Skinny Puppy? How do they fit into all that? <laughs> they they don't. But it's so oh. weird that you say that. One, of, all the members of Mushroom Head had like stage names, and one of them literally was named Skinny, uh, aka Skinner. Uh, he was one of the, uh, yeah, like leaders of the band. Uh, but but no connection though. No connection. Skinny Puppy is a totally different animal. Everything of cultural merit comes from Cleveland. <laughs> and people from other cities steal it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's definitely true. Yes. Did, did you ever uh, end up watching, I, f- I forget if we talked about this, but that 30 for 30 documentary about Cleveland and sports, Cleveland sports fans and how it's pathetic? No, no, I got to see that. Yeah, you got to watch it, dude. Dude, there's a line in there that really got to me. Somebody was saying that, a businessman says they don't want to do business with guys from Cleveland because they're so pessimistic all the time. <laughs> Sounds about right. I'm like, oh man, <laughs> I got to think about my life, don't I? Yeah, I can, I <laughs> I can definitely think about some stuff here and how I am to in that. the world. <laughs> Again, going back to Norma's mom. Yes, I can definitely relate to all of these things. Yes. Hey, is it storming really crazily by you right now? Yeah, man. I mean, this freaking rain. I'm. I'm it's terrible, right? It just like I'm in the la- I mean, call I, the city council. I, I love it, but yeah, like just in the last five minutes, it's gotten really hectic right here. Like I can hear the wind like going nuts, uh, and it wasn't doing that for the whole beginning of the episode. So yeah, we are living through the uh, you know it's been made national headlines all of this California uh, uh, rain that we got over this past week, but we're we're doing fine in in our neighborhood. Thank you for asking, everybody. Yeah, well, I mean, it is just rain. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sure there's like some storm surges or something. There was a lot of, yeah, like houses that were destroyed by mudslides and crazy shit like that, but that's not really affecting our neighborhood, thankfully. I'm trying to look at how much rain we have received in the last three days. I don't know. 
It's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. Please don't charge me with looking that up now. All right, dude. Well, well, good episode. So we're going to get into the good stuff next time. Oh yeah, we'll be we'll be meeting Evelyn, uh, and James will be fixing her car starting next episode. I know everyone's <laughs> that's, psyched. That's next episode already. Good. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. They have a really awesome conversation at the bar. It's not stunted or weird <laughs> at all. Dude, yeah, you know what it is. It's just like when James is kissing Donna when they re-profess their love for each other after Harold dies, after Harold kills himself. Mm-hmm. It's just so awkward and i know it's all james mm-hmm. yeah james rules i agree <laughs> they're just like truman and, and josie i just know it's oh it's just i don't know anyway. oh yeah all right we'll get there next time in the meantime the brazen heads podcast at gmail.com all right take care man later all right later